It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Alrighty, welcome to the Celtics Up Podcast brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Movie Network. I'm Ben McFive. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg and a very tired Dr. Justin Quinn. It's President's Day, uh, but more importantly for the NBA world, it's the day after the All-Star Game, the day after All-Star Weekend. And to talk about all of that, we're not just going to lean on my experience because I'm here in Indianapolis, but we're going to tap our friend, friend of the pod from the Oklahoma City uh, sister site of Celtics Wire, Thunderwire, Clemente Almanza is also here in Indy. So Clemente, what's up? Hey guys, I'm I'm doing great, man. I mean, just got done All Star Weekend. Um, about to get back on the road soon, head back to OKC. But yeah, this is definitely like a fun little three day, four day event. Uh, it felt like a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty tired. Um. So we will uh, we welcome Clemente in to talk about. Uh, am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. Cool. I it just occurs to me that I pronounce names incorrectly all the time, so I wanted to get that one right. Um, you and I got to see All Star from behind the scenes, uh, so we're going to talk about that. But we're also just going to talk about like what the product was and how it went. So uh, we're going to hop right into it with the lab portion of the programming to talk about All Star Weekend twenty twenty four. Um, let's talk about just like the product itself and the experience, the game itself, and we can talk about our experience. Clemente, how's that? Yeah, that works with me. Um, I think universally people didn't like this All Star game, and maybe this All Star weekend. Uh, with the exception that I, I'm willing to say that if the data comes back and with men eighteen to twenty five, they did great ratings. I'd be like, yeah, that's probably about right. So maybe it'll be quote unquote successful in the long run. But let's assume it wasn't very good. Let's go around the horn. Scale of 1 to 10. Not how bad was it, like how boring was it? Like how bad was it if you're the league? Mm. So, mm. Uh, Clemente, scale of 1 to 10, if you're Adam Commissioner. Adam, Adam, Adam Commissioner. Commissioner. <laughs> you're Adam Commissioner. Let's drink that coffee, people. Uh, <laughs> if you're Adam Commissioner, uh, how are you feeling af- uh, after this one? 10 being... We're not doing this next year. One being, hey, that was one of the, the finer things I've ever put together. I probably put it like around a, a five for sure. I mean, as you know, like this is probably like one of the most criticized all-star games in recent history. And really, it's hard not to see why. I mean, the, the product itself was not that good. Um, it was basically uh, even more of a glorified scrimmage than the all-star game usually is. And I feel like a lot of that's due to the fact that they got away from the Elam ending. They got away from the draft. And I know Silver mentioned that those two things were two things that uh, they received negative feedback on recently, which is why they went back to the traditional East versus West format. But um, I, I thought those two things really spiced up the All-Star game over the last couple of years. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm still totally not sure why they decided to uh, drift away from that. But, I mean, 
yeah, last night was um, one of the more forgettable ones for sure. Um, and they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to see what they can do because I don't think they can come back and do this again next year. We're under the same circumstances. I actually think that they kind of got the idea right with Elam ending. Uh, I'm fine with them getting rid of the the East versus West breakdown into uh, playground style uh, team picking. That that it kind of it makes it more of a spectacle and less of a game, which, you know, to a certain extent, I see the point of what they're trying to do. Uh, I like the fact actually that they, they, they trim down the entertainment aspect of the night and put the game more as a focus, uh, the night of the all-star game itself, but all of the events, uh, they, they, I don't, I don't know if it's fixable. I, I, I think we might just have to kind of just, you know, wallow in the misery and use this as a vehicle to uh, get an extra week's worth of things to talk about uh, during the stretch run. Well, so what scale one to 10, where would you put it? Oh, I do have to do that, don't I? Uh, I think I'm going to go with a five as well. Uh, it may not be very exciting, uh, but this is not exactly like, you know, hit the panic button, but it is very far from a good product as well. In fact, I think it was a step backwards. Alex. And sorry, just to recap, the scale is 10 is it's an absolute crisis. We need to abolish the all-star game. One is this is fine. Everything is good. Or even great. Yeah. One, one is okay. in the complete um, opposite direction of what we're identifying. Folks, we're at an eight with the all-star game. It is that bad. Um, so here's the thing. The, the NBA has to pick a course. They have to pick a course as to whether it's going to be an entertainment product or a basketball game. And they have failed to do that. Um, it's either going to be a silly, goofy entertainment product full of like wingdings and weird challenges and goofy stuff and, you know, like Elam endings and, uh, you know, like windmills in the three point contest. And they got to go all in on that, or they've got to go all in on making it a basketball game and really incentivizing the players to participate as if there are stakes on the line. So include a cash prize, um, Set, make sure that the all-star game is set in a place where the players actually want to go, as opposed to just like uh, having to spend a week, their only week of vacation during the regular season in Boston, know. for example. Right. Make, make it, make it something where the players actually want to go there uh, where there's incentive structures in place for the players participating in the game and actually trying hard, or just go completely the opposite direction and go full, this is a ridiculous entertainment product, we're going to embrace the spectacle of it. You got to do one or the other. You can't do this weird half-hearted attempt at both because then it's going to fall flat broadly as a product. And I just want to throw one other thing out there and I know that this is kind of only tangentially related, but it's certainly not helping the all-star game to reach a broader audience to have Kenny Smith saying sex is bullshit on air. Kenny, get it together. NBA, get it together. This all-star game was terrible. And I really think that they need to fundamentally change what the all-star game is or else, um, or else it's just going to be irrelevant. It's just going to be an irrelevant part of the NBA. It'll be cool for players to get named to the all-star, but... I didn't watch and I didn't care about watching and I really had no desire to watch. Uh, I I think Charles is also, Charles Barkley said some gross stuff. Um, so yeah, 
maybe they were also really bored, but that's not an excuse to be gross. Um, I, I'll actually do a little bit of uh, behind the scenes, peek behind the scenes uh, to give my answer, which is to say, uh, I was in the hallways after the game because, or during the game, I wasn't watching the game. The game stunk. Um, and so, first of all, a lot of big name celebrities left the game early. That maybe tells you something. But I saw Adam Silver leave the court and hit the back tunnel. And he was asked to schmooze. He was asked a question from a pretty high profile reporter. And he stiff armed everyone. He got the hell out of the building. So I don't think he is very happy with how the night went. Maybe he's got a plane to catch. Maybe he's got a meeting or a vacation. But Adam Silver was not. Uh, he didn't appear to be a happy camper leaving the building, if that tells you anything. I think if you're an all-star game purist, it's a a 9.5. I mean, it's just it's stupid. It's a waste of time. It's just a commercial for Sprite or Starry or whatever. Like, it's, it's not consequential in any way. Um, I think what the, what the what I think the league's goals are, it's probably fine. Like, we do this every year. It's always bad, and we still come back. The advertisers still come back. The young fans still come back. So, I don't know. The NFL has the Pro Bowl, and the NFL is doing great. So, why can't the NBA do this? It, it would be nice to have the 1998 All-Star Game every year or the 2016 All-Star Game every year, but uh, I don't think it, it like matters for the league or for the players. But, if again, if you are an All-Star Game purist or like this is your favorite day on the calendar, it is a, it is approaching irredeemable. So, for for fans of the all-star game it sucked for the league i think it's probably neutral um all right let's uh let's keep it moving let's go night by night and just uh talk about some of our takeaways they can continue to be negative or we can walk on the sunny side of the street clemente were you you were here for friday right happy super bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, america's number one sports book FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets. Which players will score a touchdown? How many points will be scored? And so much more. New customers join today and you get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Yeah, I was here uh, the, the entire three-day uh, event for sure. All right, so um, what did you think of Rising Stars or the Celebrity Game, either like as a fan or did you see anything behind the scenes that was cool? Oh, yeah, I honestly thought Friday was probably the best day, at least for me personally, because the Thunder had five guys that they sent to um, to Indiana, and Friday was the busiest, busiest day for them with uh, Chet, uh, Jalen Williams, and Casey Wallace all being part of the Rising Stars Challenge. And I thought Jalen Williams, obviously Jalen Williams hit the game winner there, 
uh, in the finals um, between uh, Jalen Rose's team and um, I think it was who was the other oh the G League squad. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought Jalen looked great in both of his uh, scrimmages. Um, they really did a good job of just kind of exemplifying what's what he's been so good at this entire season, being this playmaking wing who can create his own shot and then and, and shoot at a decent clip from free. And then I thought Chad looked good as well. I mean, he had that one wheel dunk in the first game, and uh, he he just played with the flow of the offense um, <laughs> in the scrimmage uh, at the Rising Star stuff. And then uh, Kaysom Wallace looked great in his game as well, even though the uh, Pogasol's team got limited in the first round. But um, yeah, I thought Friday was probably the most exciting day of the entire weekend from, from my standpoint, just because of the guys who participated. Um, and I thought it was probably the most fun event uh, overall because just how quick it was as well. I mean, it was a target score of, of 40 for the first two games, and then the last game was a target score of 25. The event didn't really drag. It wrapped up within less than two hours. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed Friday for sure. All right. Dr. Quinn, what about you? What did you think of Friday? Uh, I did not pay too much attention to Friday or, frankly, any of the events. Like, I watched most of them, but they have, with one exception, I think were, were pretty unwatchable. Uh, the one exception, I think we should spend a little bit of time talking about that being the Steph versus Sabrina thing. We kind of touched yeah. on it earlier with the lovely comments really putting a big uh, smirch on what should have been a brilliant sports history moment. Uh, hopefully it can continue to be. I think that that was um, taking one of the more interesting facets of All-Star Weekend, the three-point contest, and then turning it into something a little bit more. I would like to see more WNBA, NBA crossovers, and not necessarily uh, like men versus women, but people versus people competing. I think that there is a lot of potential interest that can be gleaned for both sports, or both sports, both leagues uh, in, in that context. So I would like to see more of that. I don't know what you guys thought about that event. Well, let's just round out Friday, and then I'd much rather talk about that. Any other takes on Friday before we dive in on Saturday? No. <laughs> I mean, that tells you something, right? Okay, so, yeah, um, I'm sure people listening know Steph Curry and Sabrina Ayasu of uh, the New York Liberty had a a shootout uh, we could talk about the kenny comments uh, maybe we don't need to give them that much oxygen but like certainly if you have a take let's hear it um don't do that yeah That's don't do that look sabrina had 26 shots she would have been tied for first in the uh regular three-point contest she friggin' balled it took a really splash brothery performance from steph curry to to his eyes just got so big as she continued to hit those shots i was like this is great I loved it. Yeah, uh, I have. Yeah, I have some more takeaways there. But Clemente, what do you think of um, Steph, Sabrina? Yeah, I thought it was probably the best event of, of Saturday night um, for sure. It's either that or the three point contest, which kind of, which really kind of exemplifies where the league at is right now with how three point happy everybody is. And the dunk contest was probably one of the worst in recent memory. Um, it felt like that they badly wanted Jalen Brown to win it just because. Uh, uh, just because of the possible precedent they can set about having, you know, some of the best players in the league participating in the dunk contest again and not having to rely on uh, Mac McClung and, and others to, to participate in it. But, yeah, the, the dunk contest was just a, a complete mess. And 
it, it wasn't that great at all. But um, yeah, I mean, the Sabrina versus Steph stuff was great. The three point contest was great as it usually is, and uh, the skills challenge was uh, pretty forgettable. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean that, that that's that was probably what your average All Star Saturday night where some of the events hit and others miss. Alex, what about you? What, what were your um, takeaways from uh, just like Saturday night in general? I have um, two kind of big takeaways related to the two kind of more blah events. I think the three-point contest and the Steph versus Sabrina shootout were both definitely clear wins, and there's nothing wrong with either of those formats. They should keep both of them as they are. Um, regarding the skills challenge, it will always be baffling to me why the NBA decided to make it a team thing as opposed to an individual thing when the individual skills challenge was actually kind of getting somewhere the last time that they were doing it. They had a thing going with the smalls and bigs and players who were actually good seemed to want to participate in it and do it. So I'm a little confused as to what their plan is there because the skills challenge like three years ago prior to the team skills challenge was actually working kind of well. And now I just feel like it's a kind of jumbled, chaotic mess. Um, it's almost impossible to actually follow what's happening on the court. And as a result, it's very hard to engage with it. Um, with regard to the dunk contest, which is what everybody talks about is every year how disappointing the dunk contest is. Um, first off, if you want to get good players to do the dunk contest, maybe do not have them jump around on an LED gimmick court that they don't trust. Because Jalen Brown pretty explicitly said, hey, I had to soften some of my dunk package because I did not trust the floor. Don't do that, NBA. Um, the dunk contest, I feel like you want to make it about as simple as possible. Like really make this thing, you know, a kind of clean, like easy no wingdings, no, like let the players, let the players offer the gimmicks. Don't force gimmicks into the dunk contest in and of itself. Um, secondly, I think there's a lot of, you know, discussion around the dunk contest and how like, ah, oh, Jalen Brown's performance was disappointing. Oh, all these other guys, you know, we're not up to snuff. I can't believe we have like Mac McClung winning the dunk contest, et cetera, et cetera. You know, he's not even in the league. Shout out to Mac McClung. Great job. Um, but the, again, we come back to what I think is a bigger uh, issue for the NBA broadly, which is that the incentive structure for the dunk contest currently does not exist. There's really no good argument for like, why should the players go and do the dunk contest other than um, to try and, you know, I guess, cement their place in history as if the history of the dunk contest is supposed to be like a very big and notable thing and i think there are instances where the dunk contest was really cool obviously the vince carter dunk contest is amazing you know kobe bryant had a great dunk contest uh you know you've got d brown you've got these kind of iconic dunk contest moments that happen once in a blue moon but by and large guys the dunk contest is just like a really hard event to make an impact on because a lot of the dunks have already been done there is a limit to how much you can like innovate with regard to the dunk contest and yeah jumping over shack is cool and yeah you know trying to scale increasingly taller things is all good fun but like there's there's not a ton of innovation left to be done in the post vince carter era 
Um, you know, the best dunk contest that I think all of us can think of in recent memory is Zach Levine versus Aaron Gordon. And with that one, that was less about like this focus on like trying to do something new and innovative and more just like having two guys who are really good at dunking come in and do that. And if that's the case, if the formula for fixing the dunk contest is just get talented guys to do it and get the best players to do it, then you need to offer a greater incentive structure to actually get the Aaron Gordons and the Zach Levines of the world to come do it. Because right now there really isn't much of one. And Jalen Brown, like kudos to him for doing it just because he wanted to, I guess, bring the star talent back and like try it out himself and like go in on the art of dunking and all of that. But like, it, it just kind of fell flat. I wanted to just jump in real quick and say, because you sparked something really interesting in my mind, and this this might be one of the only ways to really, I don't know, I guess formalize the dunk contest a bit would be to, so in like figure skating, for example, there are very specific moves or gymnastics, right? There's very specific things that you can recognize, like that is that, right? Yeah. And so if you formalize, like, how well can you pull off this kind of dunk, right, and then grade on that, then maybe that's a way to make it. Like, take some of those classic dunks. Did you, did you just come up with that? Yeah. That's, I had a lot of coffee. What do you want? Really? <laughs> that, so Cooper, maybe that, that, can, be, that could do something. That might be the best idea I've ever heard you say. I love uh, I, that. I don't know if I'm insulted or, or honored. <laughs> uh, that's how highly I, th you know, I I hold you in very high regard. I really like that idea. And then we can get a Russian judge who's like a, a tight ass. That's yeah. brilliant. That's another thing. Can can we please get better judges, guys? Please. Well, I am Okay, but, but the, the pushback <laughs> is that the, these were Indiana guys. I mean, it was for the crowd. Fair enough. But I'm just saying. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The crowd, yeah, hated <laughs> the crowd hated it. Yeah, the crowd hated it. The crowd hated the contest. Oh my! There is some. I, I was I was at Salt Lake last year, and I remember I remember our crowd being as bad or as hostile as this one was. Like, man, that felt like a playoff game, kind of. <laughs> with, with some of the reactions, like negative reactions, some of these dunks were getting, specifically Jalen Brown. Yeah, well, I think so Jalen just really quickly on JB. JB did kind of set himself up for. Um, that and I actually think that JB's dunks were not like particularly awful. They just weren't like notable. They were as good you know. as anyone else's dunks in in the contest, and it did kind of feel like there might be a little itty bitty tiny bit of home cooking to get him across the line to the next round. Yeah. And it's one of those. Wait, wait, hold on. It was definitely well, rigged. What are you talking? About? Yeah. Um, do you think they were going to let him go home and not do the Terrence Clark dunk? No, definitely not. Um, but I do think like. Also, part of this is just like he he kind of like if if you're the big star coming into the dunk contest on a white horse to save the dunk contest, you kind of have to actually save the dunk contest or else you're almost certainly going to get booed. And like, again, you know, I don't think it's like Jalen had a disaster performance. 
but I think the court was weird. I think he didn't trust it. And people were expecting like prime T-Mac and they did not get that. It also didn't help that Jalen got like much better scores than some of the dunks someone like Matt McClung threw down as well. And I felt like I probably played a role in, in him getting as good as it was because it was more about just how uh, the voting or yeah, the, the scoring system went than it was. I feel like it then was against like Brown himself. Well, also he on his second dunk flashed the, the Boston Parquet using the light up <laughs> screen, and that that we didn't even get to see the Indiana court on the uh, down there. So th- that ruffled a few feathers. Um, have they always scored to the decimal point? That was so confusing to me. I kept trying to remember. What the I don't was. remember that, but maybe they did. Okay, can I do? Uh, I'm gonna do 30 seconds on the dunk contest, and let's move on. Um, first, it was definitely rigged. They they wanted to let him do the Terrence Clark dunk. I don't know what to tell you. Second, that was that made it worthwhile. Like whatever you want to say, Jalen got to give Terrence Clark this unbelievable platform. I'm sure if you look at Google search traffic for Terrence Clark, the whole basketball world paused and remembered that kid. So successful, as far as I can tell. Um, I'll say that the court the court felt different than Wood. Um, if you've ever played at like a newer YMCA or like the the basketball court at the track in Brighton, the New Balance building, that like kind of almost rubbery feeling that they sometimes have. That's what it felt like. And I don't think Jalen had a chance to practice that. So he did say uh, there were dunks I was going to do that I just like, I didn't feel comfortable doing. So I think that the LED thing maybe was interesting and looked cool on television, but dramatically changed what the dunks were. Finally, uh, I, I commend... Jalen for doing it. I commend him for shouting at Terrence Clark. Successful for a lot of reasons. He said he and Jason didn't practice that dunk, which was is bananas because that's a really hard dunk. He tried like five different things at once. How, how did you not practice that? That's insanity. Um, you could, if you want to go like conspiracy, you can read into why that might be. But um, yeah, that that's a little cavalier for what was a very complicated dunk that didn't work out. Anyways. If you're a dunk contest purist, none of these like like the the thing that I said to people was if I were to sit and make a like these are the best slam dunk dunks ever YouTube video, none of these dunks are in it. But you know, if the Mac McClung could still dunk, like there are still dunks out there to be done. Um, I just don't think that there's NBA players right now whose personality or like way of being in the league is as a dunker. Uh, like Alex, your point when Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine did the dunk contest, they were known as in-game dunkers. If uh, I, I can't think of anyone right now who like cuts their teeth on their in-game dunks, so I don't know. Um, and then on Steph and Sabrina, just quickly, Sabrina had the place jumping. Uh, first of all, she was uh, badass, uh, but it, I, I don't. I mean, look, we're all guys on this call. We don't get to get the first or last word in here, but I think it was really inspirational. I was. Um, with a friend who's a woman and she was really jacked up to see Sabrina do this. And when Sabrina spoke afterwards, she got a really loud ovation. Um, I, th- I think it mattered. I think it inspired a lot of people. I think it's a huge bummer that people like Kenny Smith either said the wrong thing tongue in cheek or that real misogyny uh, got, got a word in there. Cause I was, if you love hoops, that was a sick event. Um, I think there was a gender slant in an inspirational way, but also like apropos of gender, it was just like a really interesting uh, dynamic event. This is one of the things like 
so Indiana, I, I've spent some time in Indiana and Indiana is a hoops state. If you care about basketball and try hard at basketball and show that you care about what it is you're doing in a basketball related thing, Indiana crowd will absolutely go off for you. And it does not matter what gender you are. It does not matter what race you are. If you're there to ball, Indiana will show out. If you're there to yeah. jog around and do a half-hearted kind of entertainment product that mimics basketball but isn't actually basketball, the Indiana crowd will let you hear it. And I think that sums up a lot of what this All-Star Weekend was. Yeah, well said. Um, I, yeah, I want to double back on that. Um, but first, let's just open it up. Uh, any last thoughts on the weekend from like an entertainment standpoint? And then Clemente, you and I can talk about some of the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, any anyone just like hop in with things we didn't get to talk about? We're gonna talk about the All Star Game itself, or do we have to? <laughs> no, we we really don't have to. Uh, the only thing that I think that was really interesting in that is that there was a at least a decent case for Jalen as MVP, uh, but they seem to be pissed off about uh, Halliburton not being the MVP. They were pissed off about everything in Indiana. Oh, the fans. Well, so Halliburton had, he scored like 15 points really early on, um, but then he trailed off a little bit. The final voting was seven votes Dame, five votes Halliburton. So it was pretty close. Um, just as an aside, anyone know how many threes the Eastern Conference shot? 97. <laughs> um, they shot like 40, 44% on it. I, I mean, I suppose there's that i think the best sequence of the game was lucas stuffed himself with the rim and then dame turned around and hit a 51 footer that was like very all-star gamey that was sick but yeah i don't know it was a snooze there was a little bit of defense a little bit in the first quarter and then and then there wasn't uh there was enough defense to say like hey guys look we're trying on defense and that was really it <laughs> i mean what's insanity is in a regular season game still get to like 150 points while teams are like nominally playing defense pacers do that every night (laughs) (laughs) yeah we could see something like that anyways um you cover you cover the thunder um what do you think of sga's night and uh by way of twitter what do you think thunder fans thought of sga's night i mean it was much better than last year where she only played like 10 minutes and, and scored only like single digit points but yeah i mean she was great this game had 31 had that monster second half um and yeah i mean this all-star game it kind of had a slow pace to it and that kind of and that kind of benefits shay who's who's a pretty slow pace type of player who how he scores the ball and and all that but i mean yeah i mean 31 points 12 of 16 shooting 7 to 10 from free which is the most like all-star thing of this entire night for him the fact that he took 10 frees because he doesn't really take a ton to begin with um but yeah i mean i thought shay was great I thought for for a moment there in the second half he was a possible All Star MVP candidate, but then obviously the the game got away from the West, um, and then Cat had fifty points off the bench on thirty five shots, which is crazy. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, she was great, man. Like his first time starting as an All Star starter, and he he looked like he belonged. I mean, he's he's been in the MVP conversation all season long, and uh, so it's not surprising to see that he was like one of the better players on the court. Uh, throughout the entire contest. It's crazy that like 
an actual real basketball game with Shea in it is just absolute must watch television. Like he's one of the most exciting players in basketball right now. Just like can't take your eyes off of him level good. And a lot of it is to kind of your point that they um, like he plays a very unique style. He's very much like taking his time. He's not like trying to like fly up and down the court or like get up a million threes. You know, he is very like precise and probing and intelligent with his game and really like tries to feel things out in a in a way that's cool to watch and particularly against elite defenses like watching Shea work is like watching a chess grandmaster and that's why I feel like to some degree the all-star game is a weird place for Shea not to say that he doesn't belong he definitely does but like part of the fun of watching Shea is that he is just so good at precisely picking apart and unpacking these defenses and schemes that are trying to stop him. And in the all-star game, nobody's trying to stop anybody. So it's just like jogging around and getting shots up. I don't know. It's, it's weird. I feel like it, it part of the problem with the product is that it really takes away on a kind of more sophisticated level, just like how smart a lot of these guys are in terms of what they're doing in the reads they're making on a kind of like game to game basis. Nobody, nobody has to display their high basketball IQ in the all-star game. Yeah. And it, I, I yeah. Oh yeah. Clemente, go. I was going to say like the, the game Shea had yesterday, he probably had like hundreds of times already the last couple of seasons where he scores like 30 plus points on super efficient shooting Really, the only big like caveat is the fact that he took 10 three-pointers. But, uh, yeah, what Shea did yesterday is what he typically does during the regular season. So, um, yeah, like you mentioned, like yesterday's game was super slow-paced, and, and that, that really benefited someone like Shea who, who, who plays basketball at that, at that level for sure. Yeah, I, we just, like, Shea is a, a good example. Like, we just don't – we don't have guys who their thing is dribbling. We don't have guys who their thing is – high flying dunks so we have we've got we've perimeter players so we had shot a lot of threes shout out to Halliburton for trying the um the white chocolate off the elbow it, I mean it went flying it, it didn't land at all but at least there there were some attempts at razzle dazzle we just didn't see much of it all right uh Clemente I want to check in with you on like the western conference but um what was your most interesting or surprising like behind the scenes experience here at all-star uh, not really a whole ton. I mean, last there, there's really not a whole ton of national media this year, uh, at least compared to last year. And, you know, that kind of aligns with just how this All-Star weekend was probably, like, one of the weaker ones in recent memory. So uh, I didn't really have a whole time to, like, really uh, meet a ton of people outside of, like, the the, the players I was covering because the funner were basically basically had someone had someone every day for sure, whether it was, like, Rising Stars practice, the Rising Stars game, G League stuff, um, and the All-Star stuff as well. Um, but in terms of like the most interesting person I was able to, well, I didn't mean anybody interested, but in terms of being able to see like in the flesh and within a couple of feet of me, it was probably, uh, I saw Bill, Bill Murray yesterday after the game and I thought that was, yeah. that was pretty cool for sure. And like, I know you're able to, to, uh, see and like meet a bunch of other celebrities there, but yeah, it was definitely cool to see, uh, Bill Murray in the flesh, uh, like a few feet away from me for sure. Yeah. That, that was one of the highlights for me. It was just, there were a lot of celebrities running around that uh, we were near or could talk to for a brief moment um i'm always after a game like at td garden when they're turning the court into a 
even if they don't have to turn it into the hockey stadium, just there's so much work that goes into it. I can't believe how much work went into this production. Um, behind the scenes, just like everywhere you look, cheerleaders are running left, mascots are running right, like people with boxes, people with uh, machines, like the amount of effort that went into making this happen uh, is you have to see it to believe it. Uh, so like shout out to people who do that kind of stuff. But um, that was really tremendous to see in the flesh. Like the, the amount of energy in that building was just uh, the honestly, it's probably the least energetic place was the court. Everything else, people were busting their ass. Um, so that was really, I thought that was cool to see. I have a question for both of y'all uh, who were there. There has been a lot of ado made, even on this show today, about holding the All Star game in a place where the weather doesn't suck. What are your opinions of the weather in Indianapolis for this event? And do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely prefer that, but for selfish reasons, like for the average fan, I doubt that that they had over the fact that media had to deal with with really bad weather. But yeah, I mean, the weather here was pretty notably bad. It started to snow really badly here on Friday, and in the end, there's a terrible job at clearing sidewalks. So you have to like really watch your step or else you slip. I almost slipped like five, five, six times on, on Friday alone. Um, Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But, yeah, I mean, that kind of comes with the with, with the deal. Like, I knew heading into uh, this All-Star break that considering it was in Indiana and in February, there was a chance that it'll be this cold, but um, yeah, for, for, for selfish reasons, hopefully, you know, these next couple ones out in California have like much better weather where I'm not having to like wear like three, three layers of like clothes in order to, uh, to stay warm. Um, I think this is probably a worst case scenario for that in that this is probably the coldest small market. And so it's just like a city that doesn't have a ton of public transportation. It's a city that catching an Uber was almost impossible. Um, and then they got hit with winter weather. So it, it feels really pressing right now, but there, it's going to be another 30 years perhaps where it's like truly a problem. Because people who said like the Toronto uh, also game is supposed to be really, really cold, but like you're still in Toronto, like a major city. New York gets cold. It's a major city. Um, first of all, I went to school in Pittsburgh, being back in the Midwest. People are just nicer here. Uh, like, I'm not being tongue-in-cheek. It, it's so palpable. The people here were unbelievably proud and excited. Um, I'm holding, I don't know, Clemente, if you got one of these. When I got my press credential, they handed me a hat that apparently a volunteer group has been hand-knitting these the, since the day they announced the All-Star game was going to be here. Um, like, it, it just felt like being in like a college town. Like the amount of pride for this thing was serious. People in Indiana, like Alex, to your point, like really take hoops seriously. So look, selfishly, as someone who came to, I'm on a business trip right now. It would have been nice to be in a warmer place. I imagine this in Miami or Los Angeles is probably more difficult. Um, 
I don't know. Clemente, you cover a small market team. I wouldn't want to deny this to the small markets, even if it's a pain in the butt for people like us or like that it doesn't excite the players that much. I think it was really exciting for the for the town. Um, so quite frankly, I think we can pound sand. It was good for the league. It's good for the small markets. But yes, specifically Indiana, because just the amount of basketball history that the state and, and the city really has for sure. Um, but yeah, like I said, like I thought the average fan, like unless you're actually going to the all-star game itself or, or you're in media going, like I thought the, I thought the average fan like really cares like where exactly this venue is being held at because at the end of the day, this is a, a made for TV type experience and um, where, where, where it's being held at doesn't really, uh, really matter a whole ton if, for, for, for most fans for sure. But yeah, like the convention center, they just like had events, like there's posters everywhere. Like there's just a buzz. It's, I don't know what else happens with President's Day weekend in Indianapolis, but I felt like it was exciting for the city. I, maybe if someone's listening from Indianapolis, if they can um, tell me I'm wrong. All right, Clemente, uh, we'll cut you in a second, but first, what does OKC need to do to go to the NBA Finals? Because we're hoping here on this side of the call that the Boston Celtics are headed to the finals. So. Yeah, the Thunder are a great story, a great team, but do you think that they can go to the finals? Uh, I mean, if you look at the metrics, like they're one of the best teams in the league for the top for the entire season so far. I mean, I think they're like top five in net rating, uh, top ten in offensive rating, top ten in, in defensive rating, and then obviously you have Jay being one of the best players in the league. I mean, he's averaging over thirty points on such high efficiency that to to the point where it's pretty historic, like. For a guard to average that that many points on, on such high efficiency, like yeah, that hasn't happened since I think Michael Jordan for the most part. Um, so you have all of that. I think the only thing that could possibly stop OKC from like really making a deep run in the playoffs is just the lack of experience and uh, the lack of like center depth on this team. Um, outside of Chet, OKC doesn't really have a traditional center, and that's kind of had the rebounding. Like the rebounding, they're one of the worst rebounding teams in the league, and they couldn't really address that at the deadline considering the options who were available. Um, they were they were able what to find Bismarck. Yeah, I was gonna just gonna ask you about that. What do you think about Biombo? Because I thought that was a pretty good sneaky uh, buyout ad for you. Yeah, I asked Vince, I asked uh, Vince Williams about him uh, after the Rising Stars events because considering they were teammates for the first half of the season, and like he like lit up when talking about Biombo and talking about just how great of a guy he is and how great of a locker room fit he is. But in terms of on the court, like he's a decent option considering who was available in the buyout market and. Uh, I mean, he has, like, nearly 30 starts under his belt already this season for the Grizzlies. And, I mean, we've seen Biombo have pretty decent playoff runs with the Raptors. Um, and, I mean, yeah, he's probably the best realistic signing that OKC probably could have gotten. Um, six foot eight, a little bit on the short side, but he plays a lot bigger for sure. Really decent rebounder. Really limited on, the, uh, on offense. He's more like your traditional rim-running big who gets most of his points on assisted buckets inside of the paint. But, I mean... All in all, considering he's probably your second slash third string center, I thought OKC did a pretty decent job at at grabbing him. Um, what do you think of Mark Dagnall, the pride of Lemonster, Massachusetts? Uh, Mark's great. Like he's one of the best head coaches in the league right now. Like, and the players love him as well. The entire organization loves him as well. And um, he, he's just done a really good job of just kind of navigating through the rebuild, keeping everybody in check, and 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 just fostering this really great culture and environment where a lot of the guys um, get a chance to uh, really thrive in. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, Mark's been. I I, I honestly think Mark's probably the best coach in Thunder history. Um, which I'm not sure how much that means, considering that the other coaches are Scott Brooks, Billy Donovan, and uh, PJ Carlissimo. Um, but I mean, yeah, Mark's been great. He finished last year uh, second in Coach of the Year voting. I'm assuming he's going to have a, another high finish this year, but it really feels like OKC's got their guy with Mark. Yeah. I, uh, I have only met him by way of press conferences, but he also seems like very charismatic and easy, which uh, yeah, he's, we don't have that experience with the Celtics coach. Yeah, in terms of media stuff, like he, Mark is great. Like He always goes in-depth with his answers and, and, and just does a good job of just fully explaining and, and answering questions um, at, at a really good level to the point where, I mean, I've talked to people around the media or that cover other team who are surprised that Mark's like usual press conference takes like 10 plus minutes. And like a lot of these other coaches are like less than a, a couple minutes at most. And that was like a real culture shock for me. So yeah, Mark, Mark's definitely got us spoiled over here in the OKC market with just the way he handles media and, and the way he like gives great answers and gives great insight. Cool. Quick oh, thoughts oh, on the Gordon Diana. Hayward trade? Oh, nice. Uh, I really like it. I mean, I know Haywood spent a few uh, a few years there in Boston, so you guys are pretty familiar with him. But, yeah, he, he, I thought it was a really good move. I mean, considering what they gave up, they gave up Trey Mann, who was stuck in a logjam behind a ton of other guards who wasn't going to get an opportunity here anymore. Uh, that was Bertans, who's just salary filler, and Vasily Micic, who has been playing better recently, but, I mean, his production is pretty easily replaceable. But, yeah, I mean, Hayward, I thought Hayward was, like, a, a calculated risk for sure because, obviously, he hasn't played since Christmas with um, a calf strain. So, uh, and and he's supposed to come back here after the off-star break. Um, so there's always a chance that, you know, he ends up not playing a ton for OKC because of those injury concerns. But I thought it was a calculated risk considering he's uh, $31.5 million expiring salary, has a ton of, exp- ton of playoff experience, Really good self-creating wing who can also catch and shoot uh, the free ball pretty well. Um, and really, worst case scenario, like if Hayward flames out, then you're going to have $31.5 million to play with in the offseason in terms of maybe improving the roster for free agency uh, or, or, or adding a couple more bench pieces. So I really like the move. Um, I think Hayward's going to be a great fit here. Uh, and like really the only concern is his health, which probably helped OKC when it came to uh, – negotiating this deal and not having to give up any any serious uh pieces to to acquire him from charlotte all right well clemente i know you gotta hit the road um so i'll shout out thunderwire if anyone wants to learn more about the electric oklahoma city thunder check out clemente Alonso's work at thunderwire and i'm sure on twitter and elsewhere uh clemente i'll put you on the spot who are the two teams that are in the finals this year Oh man. Um, well, the, I think the Celtics. The Celtics have been the best team in the league by far. They're the only team who entered the Oscar break with forty plus wins, and they've just been a winning machine this season, man. So I definitely think Boston's going to be coming out at the East, and in the West, I mean, you kind of got like four teams. Uh, like it, you have a four team race among the top of the West with OKC, the Nuggets, the Wolves, and and the Clippers. Um, I think I'll go. I want to say the Thunder, but. I don't know. I just feel it, it would be pretty unprecedented for a team this young to make it to the finals in their first real playoff experience. So I think I go with the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers have been one of the best teams in the league since they acquired James Harden. And obviously, you got Kawhi and PG having great seasons. Um, and then you got Russell Westbrook coming off the bench, being uh, being a, a good bench option. So I, I think this is going to be the Clippers' year where they finally 
make the finals and and they get like a lot better injury luck. So I go Celtics versus uh, the Clippers, and I'll I'll go ahead and say that the Celtics win. Good man, that's why we invited you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. All right, well, Clemente, it was good um, talking shop with you. We uh, the NBA treated the media to like a little party after the games, and we got to shoot pool and have a bite. So that was fun. It was good to see you. And uh, hey, if the if it's Thunder Celtics in the finals, we're gonna be doing this a lot. For sure, for sure. But all right, guys, appreciate it. Yeah, safe travels, man. Uh, Guys, let's definitely be quick on this because my buddy Steve is coming over in like 15 minutes. Oh, no. Does Steve Steve want to come on the podcast? I I don't think so. (laughs) Probably not. Hmm. All right. Uh, Let's talk about Celtics news. And the news is that on Wednesday of last week, the Celtics defeated the Brooklyn Nets 136 to 86. And on Monday, the Nets dismissed their coach, Jacques Vaughn. I will, before I speak to you guys, pronounce this. I will say that in his pregame press conference, he basically admitted that there was no more control of this team. At one point, he was asked because the night before that, the Celtics had beat the the Nets in Brooklyn. He was asked, "How do you, you know, stop your guys from dogging it on defense?" And he basically said, "You know, I don't know what what you do. I don't know if it's effort. I don't know if it's talent. I don't know if it's understanding. But I really don't know how to get." individual guys and individual plays to do what they need to do. So maybe the writing was really on the wall there, but uh, Dr. Quinn, I'm going to go to you because I think that you have a sneaky Celtic centric take on this one. Yeah. I hope I'm wrong about it. Uh, particularly if it goes anything like a, and shall we say a decision to leave the team from the Celtics assistant coaching ranks to Georgia tech last season, uh, yep. I really don't want the Celtics to be without the services of Sam Cassell. Uh, I do hope he, if he is a candidate for this job, which I think he will be one of the top candidates for this job, that he gets it in the off season. But there is a risk that he could be poached. Specifically by Brooklyn. Um, Alex, what do you think of this? Um, Big yeah. deal, no deal, little deal? So... It's definitely something that felt like it was going to be happening. Um, I'm a little surprised by how suddenly it happened. Uh, I thought for sure that he would be fired in the offseason. But I guess Brooklyn decided uh, after the uh, press conference that you mentioned and, well, the fact that they just, the Nets were deeply pathetic uh, in their last game before the All-Star break in a way where you could visibly tell that the players, like, did not care. Um, I could see a world in which uh, Nets ownership decided that they needed to make a change. And look, you know, I mean, I think Jack Vaughn, he didn't exactly blow the doors off of being an NBA head coach. You know, I think he definitely had his struggles. He came in as a replacement for Steve Nash, another coach fired by the Brooklyn Nets and after losing the locker room and, um, you know, kind of briefly recaptured it and then slowly lost control again. Um, I think, to me, this is less indicative of Jacques Vaughn's coaching abilities, which I think, you know, you can quibble with. I, I definitely is not like a brilliant coach by any means, but this is less to me an indication of Jacques Vaughn's coaching malpractice than it is the fact that um, the Nets have been profoundly mismanaged for the last four to five years, even when they had a loaded and talented roster with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. This is this was not a well-run team 
there was really not much coordination between what did ownership want to do, what did the GM Sean Marks want to do, what were they looking for in their coach, what did their players want. It it just seems like there's very little communication on all four levels of this organization. And until they figure that out, I think it's going to be really hard for them to be a relevant team. Now, somebody on this podcast, I don't know who, sure, a very smart and good looking guy may or may not have identified in our preseason predictions that this Nets roster was deeply bereft of talent and not going to go very far. So I don't think it's entirely Jacques Vaughn's fault that he is in the position that he's in today. I don't think this roster was going to do anything notable. And like Mikhail Bridges is a nice player, but come on. Mikhail Bridges is not a number one option in the NBA. That's crazy. Um, so I don't think it's entirely Jacques Vaughn's fault, but I don't think he did a good enough job to justify keeping him either. So um, it's a clean break for Brooklyn. We'll see what happens. I'm sure that they will be hunting around for good assistant coaches like Sam Cassell or Charles Lee, for that matter. Um, and I hope that those guys stick around in Boston through at least the end of this season. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets just name an interim guy to ride out the rest of the season and do a full search in the offseason. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Hopefully it doesn't impact our C's too much. But uh, the Nets are are in for a tough finish to this season, I think. Jack Bond would unironically be an interesting hire for the Celtics. I mean, he has, uh, first of all, he's an NBA champion, but also as a coach, he has good experience that, I don't know. I mean, maybe they'll poach Cassell. <laughs> Jock Bond could take his place. Uh, okay, uh, let's quickly just like run through what we have on our list. Kyle Lowry signed with the Philadelphia 76ers. Blonde Wright was cut by Washington. He's signing with Miami. I think it was officially announced. Um, and maybe there's another move or two that I missed uh, out there. Anything in the past few days change your opinion of the Eastern Conference landscape? Justin, I'll go to you first. I think the DeLon Wright signing, if he can play like he has played in the past, could be impactful. I won't say like it'll change anything other than it will probably uh, really annoy the Celtics when they play Miami in the future because it's a Celtics killer with a Celtics killer teaming up. But honestly, we haven't really seen anything. You know, the Lowry, the Lowry signing is at least interesting for Philadelphia, but I don't think that really either of those guards has enough in the tank to change it. For example, a playoff series, but it'll make for some interesting wrinkles. Yeah, I think the Kyle Lowry pickup for Philly um, makes a ton of sense, and it explains a lot of what their deadline was. Like they don't make the moves that they make without knowing that they have Kyle Lowry in the bag. They don't trade Pat Beverly without knowing that, like, hey. We think Kyle Lowry is better than Pat Beverly for what this team needs. Uh, we have that signing locked up. We can afford to burn Pat Bev for uh, our buddy Heald needs and all of that. Um, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, ultimately, Philly's destiny will be entirely determined by the health of Joel Embiid. And there's this signing doesn't change that. If Embiid does come back this season and is healthy, Lowry is an interesting piece to have in their backcourt for sure. Um, and I think he his game would actually complement Tyrese Maxey quite well. Um, I think with regard to the Daylon Wright signing, you know, this is just typical uh, Miami Heat devil magic. Um, they're doing the thing again where they're kind of slowly trundling into being a good team towards the back half of the year. They're getting a little bit better. Bam Adebayo is hitting his stride. They're getting a little bit healthier. And suddenly they're going to be the most obnoxious eight seed of all time. And we will assuredly have to play them in round one. And then I will evaporate into a pile of ash. 
But um, the Daylon Wright signing is definitely a good pickup for them. I think that, um, you know, just any backcourt depth at all for Miami uh, is valuable. And Spo loves to have options if, uh, you know, Duncan Robinson is getting picked on or if Tyler Hero doesn't have it, like being able to go to a steady hand in Daylon Wright, who can just kind of settle the offense down, run pick and roll uh, and set up Jimmy Butler and, you know, play pretty good perimeter defense. That's a good guy to have. I don't think he's going to play a ton just because Miami's guard rotation is stuffed, but hard to argue that he's not a useful bench piece for them. Yeah. It probably smacks of no news rather than anything else, but it remains to be seen if the Celtics team is a juggernaut or still vulnerable in the postseason. So uh, we'll put a pin in that. Um, just two quick things because it's on our agenda. Jason Tatum was asked by Bobby Manning of CLNS uh, about the MVP race. He recently came in sixth and the ESPN Bontemps straw poll. Tatum acknowledged that the conversations about media narratives are frustrating, but he said something along the lines of, I guess I have work to do, which incidentally he does. And uh, I don't like to promise future podcast episodes because you never know with technology, but I'm going to tease that we have, an interesting conversation in the works on that uh, topic coming. So stay tuned. Otherwise, um, Tatum's partnership with SoFi uh, was announced last week. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast. Uh, the Jason Tatum Foundation and the financial services company SoFi are partnering to provide loans and services to low-income single-family parents, uh, specifically in st louis but that project could expand it's part of a broader partnership between sofi and the nba um tatum and sofi had an event here in indianapolis uh that i went to that where he talked about that further that again we'll have more information for you over on celtics wire about that one but i will just say that it's something that earnestly jason tatum cares about this is not money laundering this is not for pr um he gets plenty of PR with Ruffles and Gatorade and stuff like that. This is a partnership that he, uh, I think, it feels really strongly about. And I will say, talking to the people at SoFi, they were really pumped to work with Jason. He was among two or three players that they were ever considering for launching this uh, initiative. Um, so it's a really cool partnership. Anyone who disagrees, uh, there are things to quibble with for like how we help people in need in situations like these, but it's definitely not like nefarious or corrupt. I'll tell you that much. And then finally, uh, first of all, thanks for listening. This episode of the Celtics Lab podcast was brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Thanks for listening. Like and subscribe to our silly little podcast because it is a silly little podcast, but you know what is not silly? Scott Pollard, formerly of the Boston Celtics, got a heart donor and had a successful surgery. The road to recovery on heart surgery and transplant is long and we wish him all the health and uh, luck in the world but I will say uh, the science between heart transplants has changed a lot in recent years um, so he has a really good chance at having not just a, a healthy recovery but a long recovery so we're pulling for that so Scott Pollard and co good luck out there we're rooting for you Celtic fans we're rooting for you everyone else thanks for listening we will be back hopefully soon with this bonus episode that I just teased, but if not uh, next week for usual. And until then, enjoy your all-star break and adios from Indianapolis.